And welcome back to some sort of the Clear Jets podcast. We host Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Well, Michael, we're back. It's been a few weeks. Apologies to the listeners. I know we've gotten some messages about where the hell have we been, but I think most Jets fans can understand the apathy towards this team right now. We're just ready to turn the page and look look ahead to 2024. It's the last day of 2023, Michael, so we figured let's do our last podcast of the season. We'll be back after the year, and we can wax poetic and, and get optimistic again and buy back into to the Jets hype because there is plenty to be optimistic about with this roster. It is I believe it is still a different roster than some of the teams we've seen the last few years, and they do have a Hall of Fame quarterback waiting in the wings, but obviously this season has been a train wreck. Um, and we figured why not have one more depressing podcast before the end of the year. So, Michael, with that said, obviously it's been a few days since the the Browns win. We didn't do a podcast after they beat the Commanders, which obviously there's some mixed emotions about, mostly mostly negative from your end. Uh, I'll just start with this. How did you take in uh, Thursday's game? Because for me, that was probably the, the least interested I've I've ever been watching a Jets game. Oh yeah, I mean it was it was complete apathy to the to a degree that I don't know if. I've ever reached as a fan, or at least not for a long time. And we've watched a lot of meaningless games with this team. Um, you know, <laughs> mostly meaningless games for, for the majority of November's and December's over the past decade plus. But um, you know, even comparing to some past seasons, the reason this feels different is like um, in 2020, like we were rooting for the tank, and they even in addition to that, they had a bunch of young players, and you're hoping to see some of those guys play well. 2021, they were bad, but still a young team, first year of a new regime. You want to see those guys play well. Last year, they were competitive. 2018 was Darnold's rookie year. You want to see that team play well. So, like a lot of these years, there were there was you know there were still things to kind of want to look out for when you're watching these games. But these past two games, since they got eliminated against Miami, I mean, are just. They've been completely uninteresting to me, just to be honest. And, and like, I'll always go back in after and like analyze the stats and what happened and watch the film and, and you know, look at all the interesting takeaways. But while watching the game, the stakes just feel so low and these games feel so meaningless to a, a point that is very rare. And this one being on primetime was weird because it's like, it's an odd feeling when, you know, as fans of the Jets, like our season is over. Everything's already crashed down to earth, but now here you are in prime time in the you know climax of the season here in week 17 against the Browns, who are on top of the world right now. So it, it was weird to be on prime time at this stage of the year. I don't think we've seen a prime time game, like a meaningless prime time game, towards the end of the year since like the 2016 Ravens? season when they had a bunch of Ravens. Them. Ravens 2019. Oh yeah, 2019. That was one. Um, but but I like, see even even that well, point, wait, last year last year against the Jags better. I guess I well, guess the they, Jags were still, still kind of in they're it. They're still yeah. in it. They're right. like seven right. and seven. So um, yeah, just it's apathy right now. That's really the only emotion that I could describe anything because it, it it wasn't supposed to be like this. You know, it was like regardless of you know whether they won the Super Bowl or not, and even after Aaron Rodgers got injured, like we figured this was going to be a competitive team, <laughs> but uh, it's anything but. Yeah, the Browns were the perfect opponent for this game on prime time because you got to see kind of a mirror image of what the Jets could have been this season in the face of a lot of adversity and a lot of injuries, remaining competitive and maybe squeaking into the playoffs. And the Browns probably won't go on a, on a huge run, most likely. They'll probably lose, but they still fought for their head coach. They made it into the playoffs. They put forth that competitive season, and then we'll see if they can build off of it. That's kind of, I think, once Rodgers went down, what we were all hoping for is 
nine, 10 wins, squeak into the playoffs, show some fight, and then Rodgers comes back, maybe at the end of the year, but more likely in, in 2024. Um, but yet you see kind of two sides of the same coin, a, a team that's completely imploded and given up, a team that was four and three at the bye and then just fell apart into this dysfunctional mess where we're cheering for a top five draft pick and a team in Cleveland who's going to go to the playoffs with Joe Flacco. Uh, we'll just start there. And there's a lot you can go with in terms of the coach and the talent on this team and whatever. But when you're watching Thursday Night Football, what was going through your mind just watching uh, two sides of, of the same coin? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it was, I think, poetic that the Jets are playing the Browns in this specific game uh, because they really exemplify what the Jets could have been this year, even after Rodgers got hurt. And I think that's the thing that frustrates me the most about this coaching staff, the front office, and really the whole organization and the way they're treating this season. Um, because, you know, with Woody Johnson coming out a couple of weeks ago and prematurely saying, everyone's coming back, we're going to run it back. And, and essentially in his quote that he put out to, I think it was the New York Post, uh, but wherever it was, you know, he essentially wrote off this entire season because of Aaron Rodgers' injury. He essentially said, you know, Rodgers got hurt. We couldn't recover. That's it. It's over. As soon as Aaron Rodgers is injured, we got no shot. And, yeah, in terms of winning a Super Bowl, we all knew that was off the table once Aaron Rodgers got hurt. In terms of winning 11 games, 12 games, yeah, off the table. But it doesn't mean you should be 6-10, and 10, a minus 101. That's their point differential right now. And they have the most – three-plus score losses in the league. Six times they lost by at least 17 points. This team is way too talented for that. Most and penalized team. I think most penalized team in the league. You have Salah, who has, who's tied now for the fourth most cowardly punts on the cowardly punt Twitter <laughs> account. He had two of them in this game. Like, none of this stuff is excused by Rodgers' injury. Like, I get it. It hurts, and it's awful. Like, you and I are there. It sucks. But it doesn't mean you just curl up into a ball and play like garbage and the Browns are a perfect team to play in this situation because they show you what you could have been. The Browns are a very similar team. They have an elite defense, maybe even a little bit better than the jets, but I would, you know, with better support from the offense, maybe the jets defense could have been as successful as the Browns, but you know, both elite defenses, the Browns have lost both of their starting tackles and their top backup tackle. They lost Nick Chubb in the second game. They have, you know, a good group of skill position players, you know, even with the guy they lost. They still have Amari Cooper, Elijah Moore, David Njoku, Kareem Hunt, just like the Jets have Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, Tyler Conklin. So very similar situations, but here are the Browns with 11 wins and the Jets are who they are. And I think there are a lot of reasons um, that separate these two teams that come back to coaching and the front office. And specifically with the offensive line, I think that's where it all starts. And you look at Joe Flacco, and he really exemplifies that difference between these two teams because Joe Flacco is Joe Flacco. He's the same guy he was last year. But the only difference is last year he's playing behind the worst offensive line in the league, which it still is this year. And he goes to Cleveland, and despite those injuries that they have to Jack Conklin, Jedrick Wills, Dewan Jones, it's still an average-ish, above-average offensive line. Recently, they've been playing well above average. I mean, in this game, he got hit once the whole game against a great Jets pass rush. So they've been playing really well recently. Um, so that's really the main difference. And you're seeing that as long as the offensive line is competent, which the Jets' offensive line is nowhere near, any quarterback can be successful, especially when you have a great defense. They have you know, weapons on offense you can rely on. 
which in this game, they didn't even have Cooper. But, you know, for the most part, yeah. he's had Cooper. But when you have all those things, all you need is competence from your offensive line. Just be okay. You don't have to be great, but don't blow up the entire game. And you can survive and win games that way. And the strength of your defense and weapons with a quarterback just being a distributor. And that's what Flacco is doing. And, you know, it comes back to coaching and the front office because you look at Cleveland and their biggest investments on the offensive line. They're working out. Wyatt Teller, um, Joel Batonio, those are their two highest paid guys in the interior. They're both great players. And the Jets' biggest investments, who have stayed healthy, Lakin Tomlinson, big free agent, Mekhi Becton, first-round pick, they're terrible, both of them. So it starts there. Those big investments didn't work out. Then you look at the development of the young talent in Cleveland. Dewan Jones was a fourth-round pick this year. He subbed in for Jack Conklin when he went down in week one, and he had a really good season. He was an above-average tackle before he went down as well. And then the Jets' late-round picks, Max Mitchell, Carter Warren, none of them are gems. They're all they're bad. The Jets have not found any of those guys. They also have the Browns do. Um, Nick Harris, a center they drafted in the fifth round a couple years ago, when he's had to come in a couple times this year, he's been a, an above-average center. So the drafting of young talent in the later rounds has been better. Building the back end of the depth chart has been better. That's all in the front office and the coaching for developing that talent. And then last but not least, the coaching of that offensive line. Obviously, they have Bill Callahan in Cleveland, who's one of the best offensive line coaches in the league. He was you know, the engineer behind the Jets the last time. They had a great offensive line. Um, and that offensive line, despite all those injuries, it's cohesive. I mean, how many blown protections did you see in that game last night? I mean, besides Jermaine Johnson on that one play. Outside of that, you didn't see a lot of unblocked rushers. You didn't see pre-snap penalties. On the year, they have 16 false starts. That's the 12th fewest. The Jets have 31. That's the most. Twice as many as they do. And they've both been banged up. Um, they've been great against blitzes all year. They've allowed uh, a better-than-average pressure rate against blitzes. The Jets are the worst in the league in that same category. So the coaching is better. The talent acquisition is better. And it all reflects on the offensive line really shows it the most and you can look at the defense too with the cleveland um and the hires that they made on that staff to improve it but it all comes down to the offensive line i think that's the main separator between these two teams and it reflects on the coaching and the front office i think is the reason for those differences so so yeah i think overall with the jets it's just i'm really disappointed in their acceptance of this season and the idea that, you know, just because Aaron Rodgers got hurt, nothing matters and everything's going to be okay when he comes back. You still had the chance to evaluate Joe Douglas's moves, to evaluate Robert Sala as a coach, Nathaniel Hackett as a coach. All that stuff could still be evaluated without Rodgers. And what we saw from all three of those guys was brutal, absolutely brutal. So I personally, if I owned the New York Jets, which I do not, I would – yeah, be very thankful. Not not yet, but maybe if we make some more podcast episodes, the revenue yeah. will start to stack up. Then we could be co-owners. We can invest. But um, I would be thankful for this season that we got the opportunity to say, "Hey, thankful." Oh, you had this tweet last that, week. I was like, "What?" I know, but listen, I would be thankful for the chance that we could say, "Look, Robert Sala is not a good coach. Nathaniel Hackett, I don't care if so he's thankful. Rogers' friend. He's not a coach. We can get these guys out of here." get better coaches before those guys ruin Rogers tenure with the team. 
And, and maybe that's not like the best word choice because obviously I would prefer Rodgers just doesn't get hurt and he plays and you have a good season. But I'm just saying like you have so a you have you have to, no you have no faith yeah. in Salah anymore. That's what you're saying. Maybe five percent out of a hundred. I mean, it's I was a huge well, the, Salah fan when they hired him. He was my number one ranked guy in that coaching cycle. But I like they're, they're it's just the stuff that he can control that frustrates me. Right. I don't expect them to have a amazing record this season or anything like that but this team gets blown out more than any other team in the league since he came in and they're too talented for that they get blown out more than the panthers the giants the commanders the cardinals like pick your bad team all of them get blown out less frequently than this team does every single elimination game they played in three years they didn't score a touchdown and got blown out um there's a cowardly punt thing there's fourth down decisions all that stuff he doesn't rank well he doesn't make like analytically inclined decisions as we saw in this game. Um, the game planning isn't there. Just I, I just feel like there are things you can look at. And regardless of who's that quarterback and what talent deficiencies the roster might have, he still could have been better in these areas and shown like, hey, if we have the talent, if we have the quarterback, we can win a Super Bowl. I can be the leader of a Super Bowl team. But with what he's done this year, I don't feel like he, even if the roster was great, he's still not capable of winning a championship because I don't see the same things that you see in most championship coaches. So I, I have very little faith at this point. I mean, it really comes down to the offensive hires. Cause when you have a guy like Sala, you pretty much look at right. him like, like a Mike Tomlin or a Pete Carroll, like you're hiring Sala. The reason the jets hired Sala was to help re- repair the culture that Gase had left behind. That's Sala's marquee uh, trait, I guess is, is he's a culture builder. I mean, we, how many times in those, those head coaching podcasts, we bring up like a CEO, leader of men type of coach. And that is who Sala is. I mean, obviously this season has done some damage maybe to that that reputation in terms of players giving up on him and being undisciplined or whatever. But it's tough to blame him in the current situation. And couple that with, he's a great defensive coordinator. I mean, obviously Jeff Ulbrich is the defensive coordinator, but he has built this defense. I would couple that with, we did see in 2021, you kind of need talent for this defensive scheme to work. But hey, he knows exactly what traits that the scout should be looking for um, to build this defense. He's worked cohesively with the front office to acquire those players like the sauce, like sauce Gardner, like Jermaine Johnson. We'll see about Will McDonald, Quincy Williams, all these guys that they brought in to, to uh, bring into to Sala's defense. He's done a good job with that. It's really the offensive staff. And initially I think we were all on board with LaFleur and Greg Knapp have being the veteran uh, in Zach Wilson's year and the is the brother of, of a, a young hotshot uh, offensive coordinator or head coach in, in Green Bay. And so we all kind of had that feeling of like, okay, we're pairing the culture leader of men head coach with a young hotshot offensive coordinator. And hey, maybe he'll get a head coaching job in a few years, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. It all blows up in their face. Obviously, Greg, Greg Knapp, tragic situation. I think that really hurt the development of Zach Wilson. And then LaFleur, he wasn't perfect. He was, I mean, miles better than than Nathaniel Hackett, but clearly he didn't really mesh well with with Zach Wilson. And then that leads you to this offseason where you feel like you have to get rid of the floor, which I understand you, you take a guy number two overall and he looks as bad as he did last year. I understand why they why they parted with the floor and they went in on Hackett because they would get Aaron Rodgers. If they had hired Hackett and not gotten Aaron Rodgers, we would have let him a new one, but we passed it. We, we were acceptable. Uh, we accepted it because they were getting Aaron Rodgers and you're seeing the result of it when you have a guy like Saul and you have this style of head coach and he doesn't have the offensive coordinator. I mean, look at Mike Tomlin this year with Matt Canada and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, they're a train wreck and it would lead you to the same, uh, you know, 
a talking point that I've, I've heard you make before, which is what does he do? What does he bring to the table when talking about solid? But I think, you know, Woody's hoping that because Saul has said all the right things, because he seems like he's a good guy, because it seems like he does things the right way, that he's going to be able to write the ship. But I agree with you. I, if if they hang on to Hackett, if he, you know, if he ties his boat to Nathaniel Hackett for 2024, because this is the make or break year, he's not surviving another year if, if they don't make the playoffs. So they have to make the playoffs. And you could argue maybe they have to make the playoffs and win a game too, because if they go and they get blown out in the wild card round, I think you'd hear a lot of a negative you know, solid takes, but let's just say they have to make the playoffs next year. Are you tying your, your boat to Nathaniel Hackett? What if 40 year old Aaron Rodgers goes down again? I do believe that solid can be a good head coach in this league. I do believe that he can be a guy who can stand in front of a team and build a culture, build a winning culture and have a group of men ready to play for him. But if he doesn't have the offensive staff, he's going to look like this. And so that brings you back to the whole point of like, well, then why wouldn't you just hire an offensive head coach, which Right. is a fair criticism and is one of the main criticisms that you have is like, go, go out and go get a, a Ben Johnson or a, a Todd Downing or not Todd Downing, Todd Munkin um, for Baltimore. <laughs> Todd not Downing, Todd Downing. Jesus. That's our My God. But you know, go and get an offensive coach. So you can build it. I don't think they're going to do that. They, they, they're, they've gone all in on this era of jets football with Aaron Rodgers and Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. And it's all going to come down to 2024. But if I'm Sala, I'm taking a long look in the mirror and I'm looking at my staff and I'm saying, sorry, Aaron, you don't own the team. And right. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hitch my wagon to, to Nathaniel Hackett if I were him. I don't know how you navigate that with Rogers in terms of finding somebody that is going to build an offense that Rogers wants to play with. If you find somebody that he has history with or that, you know, that he overlapped with in green Bay, but I don't necessarily know how that works. All I know is that the product out there is so bad that I understand we're talking about Sala right now, but to me, Hackett is, is the number one issue yeah. with this team. And I know they're going to fire Keith Carter, the offensive line, or they should fire Keith Carter, the offensive line coach, and they should fire Todd Downing, the passing game coordinator. But if you're rolling back into the season with Nathaniel Hackett, like how much different can this offense look if Aaron Rodgers goes down again in 2024? And it'll be 40 years old, and he has to play 17 games and maybe some playoff games as well. The chances that you get all those games, pretty slim. So that's really where my my faith level in Sala will be determined within the first two weeks of January and how he handles his coaching staff. Because I believe yeah, he can be that, that head I'm, coach I'm with guy. you on that. Like, I, I agree. Like, if, you know, that, that's really the big point, like what you, you just said right there. If they were to keep Sala but say, hey, we're going to clear out Hackett, Carter, almost the whole offensive staff, let's rebuild this, then, you know, there's a chance that he – he could turn it around, but it's just the fact that he's, you know, failed so strongly at that so far that makes it harder to trust that he's even capable of doing that because, you know, he struck out with the first staff and he had a second go around here. And I know they got Hackett for Rogers, you know, which, you know, you could debate whether or not they should have done that if it was going over the line or whatever. But at the end of the day, he's been here for three years, basically had two go rounds, the offensive staff, and we haven't, seen a, a single sliver of hope so it does make me you know lack the confidence that he could do it even if given another chance but i do agree you know in the situation that Salah comes back you clean house in the offensive staff and if this time around you do nail it i could see it because like i i don't think from a culture standpoint he's necessarily done a bad job there and i don't i don't, I don't really care what he says at the press conferences like when you're losing games there's there's never going to be a good answer like when have you seen a six and ten team that gets blown out and people are like, "That's a good answer right there." Good, I love Sal. <laughs> yeah. He's like really navigating this well right now. Like everyone's going to complain about every single answer when the team's losing. I don't really care about the press conference answers except for like the you know 
very questionable explanations for stuff like, you know, is he a band Kanda can't play because he can't block, but Dalvin Cook is terrible at blocking. Besides stuff like that, I don't really mind. They, they have changed the culture, that the last couple weeks. And the culture is pretty solid. Like, you can see it on hard knocks. You could see it with the you know players in the locker room. They were able to lure in some veteran players. They lured in Aaron Rodgers. They, you know, were good enough to do that. So I, I don't think that's necessarily an issue, but it's just for me with solid, it's like the controllable things. It's the poor game management decisions. It's poor offensive staff hires. It's, you know, bad game planning, lots of penalties, just a lot of things that I think reflect directly on the head coach that I don't yeah. think necessarily will change regardless of who's a quarterback or what the talent of the team is like all those areas is very, you know, is not looking too good for solid through, a three-year sample size. So I, I'm not optimistic. I personally would clean house uh, with the coaching staff, including him, and, and get an offensive coach because you know, I think if you want to build a good offensive staff, having a head coach who is on the offensive side is a good way to do it. Um, so that's what I would do. But I do agree that you know realistically he's coming back. So what they can do is clean house with Hackett and the offensive staff and try to get that right. And then maybe Salah can – be a successful head coach so long as he has the right people running the offense because they clearly do not have that right now. I think the thing that's so frustrating about this iteration of, of Jets football, and there are some flaws to this argument, and especially with the in-game stuff, which we can get to in a second, but in terms of like their personnel decisions, their coaching staff hires, all, all that stuff, it seems like the process has been good. Just the results haven't. And then then that would you know lead a lot of people to say, well, then the process wasn't good. But like go back to the first decision that Saul and JD made together. It was what to do with Sam Darnold. In retrospect, and we were against it, so I'm not gonna act like you know, hindsight is clearly 2020 here, but like in retrospect, they probably would have been better off taking Penny Sewell or whatever and and riding it out another year with Darnold, trying to build up, kind of doing what the Lions do, just build up the, the rest of the team and then worry about the quarterback. But then you look at the process and you say, Hey, look. First of all, the 2022 quarterback class is horrible, and it's been backed up outside of the last pick of, of the entire class. It's been terrible. So they w- probably would have been in QB purgatory for another two years. Maybe they go out and get Rodgers anyway. But regardless, you look at that coupled with the resetting the rookie contract, the rest of the league being extremely high on Zach Wilson, um, and then, yeah, having a new head coach, trying to bring a new era. You look at that decision, and it – Turns out to have been the wrong one, but you look at like, it's not like they passed on any quarterback that turned out to be really good to take Zach Wilson. It's not like Sam Darnold has turned around and been really great elsewhere. Although I do kind of, I do kind of feel the Sam Darnold playoff run with San Francisco happening this season. It would just be the cherry on top of, of Geno Smith and Joe Flacco and Sam, it's just all the, all the former right. Jets quarterbacks. And you know, the same is going to happen with Zach Wilson in a couple of years. He'll be the Vikings quarterback in the, in the playoffs in 2026 or whatever. But you look at that decision, it seemed like the process was the right thing. It's like, take take the young quarterback, trade Sam Darnold. They got a good haul back for him. It, it allowed them to go get Brees Hall. But in retrospect, was that the right decision? I don't know. And then you look at, okay, they bring in Michael Floor, a young hotshot offensive assistant under Kyle Shanahan, one of the league's brightest offensive minds, and he's the brother of one of the other league's brightest minds and Matt LaFleur. And you pair him with Greg Knapp. Obviously, they can't foresee what happens with Knapp. But – the decision to hire LaFleur, the process there seems good. And even John Benton, the offensive line coach, like who was in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan, one of the best ground games in the league. Fast forward another year, they bring in Lakin Tomlinson, another guy where it's like, it seems like the process is good. This is a guy who's been durable. He's been a pro bowler. He has experience in this offense. And then Lakin Tomlinson's been horrible. 
So it was like, was like in Tomlinson a bad signing? Absolutely. But you look at the process of it and it's like, well, it made sense at the time. Like really the only thing that has gone right for, for JD and Saul is that 2022 draft. Outside of that, it's like, there's a lot of decisions yeah, that the Jets yeah. have made the last few years where it's like, I agree with the process. I think most people, most Jets fans agreed with the process and then yet it doesn't work out. Aaron Rodgers, everybody's on board with that. It's like, all right, that means we have to get Hackett. It's like, we're, we'll still sign up for it. We get a Hall of Fame quarterback. He tears his Achilles four plays in the season. Now you're stuck with Hackett and the Jets are a joke again. It's like, and there are a lot more decisions like that. There are some that, that you can completely question the process with, but you look at the last three years of Jets football, it's like, there are a lot of decisions I agreed with and most rational football, smart football minds agree with, and then it just blows up in their face. And is that a curse or is that a competence or are we all just wrong? Like, you know, maybe the process wasn't good, but do you see what I'm saying? It's like, it yeah, does yeah. seem like I mean, doing I, things right. It's just not working out. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's the the strangest thing about this regime, this era here, the past three years, because like when you compare it to, and, and, you know, the bar is a lot higher than this. It, you know, to win a Super Bowl, you have to be more than just better than Mike McCagnan, Adam Gase, Todd Bowles, John Idzik, whatever. But, like, we sat through all those regimes, and the Jets would do things that you knew were bad the moment they happened. And then they <laughs> turned out safeties. bad. Like, yeah, back-to-back safeties, drafting Christian Hackenberg, hiring Adam Gase, signing Tremaine Johnson. Like, all, all this stuff was, like, you knew immediately, like, that's a bad process right there. And then it turned out to be bad. And then with this regime, it doesn't, it, sometimes they have done stuff like that, not signing a, you know, backup quarterback this year. Um, that one there are other things you can look into, uh, not getting another receiver after Corey Davis went out, um, various things like that. Um, but is it, so it's not to say they're perfect, but, you know, they have emphasized the offensive line. He has tried to do it, you know, two first round picks. One of them, he traded up, spent a lot of money in free agency. Um, they drafted a quarterback number two. They got Aaron Rodgers. So, so yeah, like it doesn't feel like the thought process behind their moves and their overall philosophy is is incorrect. It feels like they have tried to do the right thing, but at the end of the day, the results have been bad. So, like it, it does create that you know sort of dilemma to where it's like, which side should we be leaning right. towards? Should we give them the benefit of the doubt because they're you know it seems like they know what they're doing but they've had some bad breaks or do you just judge them on like your record is your record and as usual i think the answer is somewhere in the middle but i feel like this is the season that pushed me towards you know the latter like you are what your record says you are i think going into this season i was leaning towards like okay first year rookie quarterback rebuilding last year a lot of injuries collapse down the stretch but you could see they're on the cusp but this year this team has vastly regressed compared to last season i know they have you know seven wins last year six wins this year but the quality of the team on the field is not even close i mean most of the games they lost last year were close games and they had some very good quality wins this year you know some of the wins they had are just fluky wins and then they're getting blown out consistently <laughs> Um, so I, I, and plus it's just the fact that, you know, this is three years now and you still haven't gotten over seven wins. So I, I think at this point it's kind of got to the stage where it's like, you have to look at the results, you know, despite right. the process seeming good time after time, three years of, you know, not just, you know, subpar results or like below average, but terrible results yeah. through three years at this point, like it, 
you are where you are at this point. So I think that's why. I mean, I'm I'm higher on Douglas than Salah just because you know the 2022 class. I think he's had so he's done a good job with like low tier pickups, like undrafted I, free agents. We're and kind like of flipped here, stuff like that. We're kind of flipped. So, here. Like I, I, you're like I'm, higher on Salah. You think? I think so because I think when you know when I was laying out the terms of like why I think the process has generally the last three years been good. I mean, I think a lot of that is just because they've been saying the right things and they've seemingly built a culture. And you're right, like our perspective is probably skewed because we've watched Adam Gase and Todd Bowles and right. all, you know, all the garbage we'd watched the decade leading up to Salah. But overall, I, I do kind of believe that he has tried to do things the right way. But then you look at Douglas and I was thinking, it's like, well, their process for handling the offensive line this year was not good. And we, we knew it wasn't good, but we, you know, and this is something that we really have to try hard again this year. And, you know, with how cynical you've been the last few months, I, I, I'm not worried about that this happening again, but we kind of knew they hadn't addressed the offensive line the way that we would have wanted to by relying on a guy in Becton who was coming off of, of two years away from, from the game, by relying on a guy in Dwayne Brown who's 40 years old, coming off a torn rotator cuff and wasn't even that good last year by, you know, they they had, they had to do the trade for Rodgers to move down from 13 to 15. Who knows that they would have taken Broderick Jones. I still like Will McDonald. I still think Will McDonald's going to be good. But it's like, Say Flowers would be pretty nice right now, or one of those receivers would be pretty nice right right now. So there are a lot of moves that Douglas made this offseason. It's like, okay, again, uh, Lazard's bad, but again, uh, we'll chalk it up to Rodgers. But like Dalvin Cook, you didn't need to go get. that. Rodgers was already on the team. He wasn't gonna make, that wasn't going to make or break Rodgers being happy. You wouldn't pay a, a washed backup running back that you and a lot anybody really watched Dalvin Cook or looked into any of Dalvin Cook's 2022 film or advanced numbers knew that, okay, this guy's – Probably not a good idea to pay this guy $7 million. So there were a lot of like, and then like you said, Corey Davis retires and they don't replace it. And even when Davis was on the team, you were kind of already questioning the, the receiver group. There were a lot of moves this offseason that I think Douglas really whiffed on. I know he, he deserves a lot of props for that 2022 class, but I look at this offseason and I think this year is more on on him than on Sala. Do you agree with me on that? Or do you think that I'm being unfair, unfairly uh, critical of, of Joe Douglas, given that he's given the franchise the best draft class in, in team history? I mean, I, I think it's fair to blame both. And like I said, I, I think they've both been terrible. If I if I were in charge, I would clean the entire house. I'd get a new GM and coaching staff. But um, I I think it's more on the coaching staff. Because to me, like when I watched the way the season has played out, like why they won the games they won, why they've occasionally looked good and why they've been bad and why they've lost their games. Like it feels like talent has won them the games. And when they've lost, it's been more so I, obviously they've lost because of lack of talent as well, but there have also been a lot of losses where they easily could or should have won. If it was coached a little bit better, they played up to their talent a little bit better. You know, like I, you'll get the bills game where you have Garrett Wilson making a ridiculous catch and Brees Hall, breaking out an 80 yard run and yeah. those two plays make the difference but in winning say, or, it's the one draft class how much yeah. is that draft class how much leeway does that does that buy him do you think i mean it is one draft class out of four at this point and it's been pretty bad outside of that one but it was a really good class i mean that is up there as not just one of the best for the jets but of any team in the league and right you know recent history so it does buy him a lot. And and still, even in addition to that, like there's a lot of other talented players in the roster who he brought in or, you know, who are contributing to the team. Conklin, DJ Reed, 
um, Tony Adams, Quincy Williams. Like, okay, that was what uh, I was going to ask you. Does does yeah. Sala or does JD get more credit for a guy like Quincy Williams, yeah. or even a Tony Adams or a Bryce Huff or a, or a John Franklin Myers? Like those guys that that uh, Douglas got off the scrap bin, but then Sala and his defensive coaching staff is is developed. It's like I kind of feel like a guy like Quincy Williams, like. That yeah, seems like the point. all solid. Yeah. Like that's that's their coaching staff developing young talent, which they've proven they can do in the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, they can't do it in the offense side of the ball. The one thing I will I will say that nobody really talks about is like the Jets did offer Orlando Brown Jr. a bigger a better contract than what he got with the Chiefs this offseason. It's like so Douglas did try to go and make take a big swing at offensive tackle, and then it's like they did make that trade, move down from thirteen to fifteen. Who knows who they would if they would have taken Broderick Jones? I re- I rewatched that video of, of Douglas predicting that he was going to get jumped and it does kind of now that i'm looking at it through a different lens it's like he does seem kind of pissed so it's like he douglas draws the line in the sand he's not going to compromise himself by overextending trying to to make up for for an unlucky break it's like okay we offered orlando brown jr more money than he got we were how much more can we go outside of getting reckless it's like okay we we had to do this this deal with with aaron Rodgers without trying to to give up our first round pick we accepted moving down two spots it's like all right we got jumped for for broderick jones you know, outside of getting reckless and trying to move back up and sacrifice another pick, what else could they have done? I do think there are some times where it's like Douglas gets unlucky, but he's drawn his line in the sand and he's not going to compromise himself. But again, relying, you said at the beginning of this podcast, the offensive line is the biggest difference between the Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets. And that to me falls on Joe Douglas, who is a guy, a former offensive lineman himself. I mean, in college or whatever, who is, you know, his whole pedigree was supposed to be on his ability to find offensive linemen. And it's not just the first round picks, Michael. It's like, has he found anybody in free agency or in day three that is, is no. proven to be good at all? I mean, Tipman looks good. I'm excited about Joe Tipman. AVT looks good, but who knows that they can rely on him to stay healthy. Becton, I think without the knee injuries could have been good, but in like Lakin, it's hard to predict. So like, is he getting unlucky or is that's what I, that's what I'm trying to say, I guess, with the, the process versus the results. It's like the process has been there. The results haven't been. But in my opinion, you look at who's more fall for this. Obviously, Nathaniel Hackett's number one, so maybe that falls solid. But it's like it's the talent on this team that really lets him down on the offensive line, year in and year out. It's like you, you how many games are you going to win with Jake Hansen starting at right guard? Yeah, and and I see that. So I mean, I, I think both have been bad, and it just comes back to the original point we started with: is that there's no reason the Jets should be complacent with this season and like oh if we had Rodgers it all would have been okay and it will be okay next year it's not going to be the Jets are not winning the Super Bowl with this regime I I guarantee that if if they do go ahead and play this back I'll be happy to be wrong just like I was wrong about Dalvin Cook so I mean I really wish look at you getting the ego I really wish (laughs) they would just you you know you've been right about a lot this year I will I will give you credit for that but I mean, you've seemingly have turned the page on on this era of of Jets football, which is like, hey, let's just get to January. Let's see what let's see what they do. What would they have to do for you to kind of buy back into 2024? Is it fire hack it? I mean, realistically, yeah. I mean, I I don't expect them to do what I'm saying they should do. But, you know, if they could at least have the guts to fire Nathaniel Hackett, which it shouldn't take guts to fire Nathaniel Hackett. It's ridiculous. We have to even say that. Rogers looks do, like Rogers knows it's bad. He's not an idiot. Every time they cut someone on the sideline, he's shaking his head in disbelief or losing his mind. Like what, like, what do you think he's actually? Because we can see he's clearly frustrated, regardless of what he says. 
to the media. He's frustrated on the sidelines. So do you think he's frustrated at Hackett? Is it the offensive line, the quarterbacking? Like, what do you think is really eating at him the most when we see that from him? I think it's probably, he would probably give some cerebral answer about how it's everybody's fault and whatever. They all have their hand in the pot, but like, yeah, he, I know he's his friend, but he looks overmatched. Every time they cut the hack it in the boot. And by the way, like how many times are they getting the play in late and they're getting delay games and illegal formations. And it's like, I'm like crucial third or like fourth and six. Yeah. Cause it clearly hack it is up the there. Challenge. Like hack it's up there. Like, uh, okay. Uh, let's go with, uh, and like he's getting the, and this uh, is the same verticals. <laughs> And that's the same reason Denver fans were counting down the play clock from last year. It's like he's he's outmatched. He's not an NFL offensive coordinator. Rodgers likes him because he's his buddy, but I Rodgers is a smart guy. This is the twilight of his career. It's his last chance to win a Super Bowl. It's like I know he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, and I do think Rodgers is, is a really bright guy, but he has to know that it's just not going to happen with Hackett. I'm fine if he wants to keep Hackett as the QB coach or they – some other position where he's not the play caller and designing the offense, but I just don't know how they, how they do that. I, I do. I, here's my prediction. I think they fire him. That's my bold prediction for 2024. I think they fire Hackett. Do you agree with me? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think they're going to. <laughs> I think, I, I think so. they fire Hackett downing and, and Carter. It's like, can hack, they're by gonna, the way, can Hackett I, like, really be that mad that, if he gets like, fired Carter and downing? Like, They'll can, pick can like hack- some offensive position coaches to be scapegoats. Yeah, yeah. Taylor, they'll fire the the running backs coach, and uh, Zach Azani, I think, is the receiver coach. They'll fire him. Like, the, yeah, they'll probably do that and try to put lipstick on a pig. But it's like, as long as Hackett is designing and calling the offense, how optimistic can you really be? And it's like Rogers isn't dumb. He knows. He knows. It's just it can't. This can't happen. So I, I do think they fire him. Because it's Salah's call. It's, it's not Rogers isn't on the team. Rogers is going to play regardless. He might be pissed about it, but it's like, can Rogers really sit there and act like how how could you? How dare you fire this guy who's led us to the worst offense in modern history? It's like, could he really get that uppity about it and be like, well, I'm not coming? It's like, no, he's going to come back and play. Fire Hackett, and there will be some there will be some offensive assistant around the league that, or maybe some former offensive coordinator that would be excited to work with Aaron Rodgers that Aaron Rodgers is excited to work with and they can build the offense together. You can give Rodgers a, a large role in building the offense, but they got to get hacking out of there. So I guess, I guess we can, we can end there. I mean, I don't know if there's I, the last thing is, is like, I don't think we're going to do a podcast before the Pats game. We'll, we'll get back to being consistent after the season and hopefully talking about firing Hackett. But uh, are you cheering for them to, here's the, here's the position the jets are in for next Sunday. I already know your answer, but here's the position the jets are in a week from today. Uh, either they beat Bill Belichick and the, the Patriots and cost themselves in the draft, and maybe they fall all the way to, who knows, 11th in the draft order, 10th in the draft order, but outside of the top 10 or at the bottom of the top 10. Um, and and simultaneously giving the Patriots a better shot at getting a top quarterback. Or they lose to Belichick and potentially Belichick's last ever game. What would that be? 16 straight losses to to the Patriots. Uh, haven't won a home game in Gillette since 2008. Um, but they would help their draft odds and they would hurt the Patriots odds. I already know what your answer is, but there, there's a lot of Jets fans and I'll be honest, Michael, and it'll be hard for me to, I, I don't know if I can cheer for, if this is Belichick's last game, I mean, this is like a childhood rivalry. I don't know if I could cheer for Belichick in his last game against the Patriots. Like as hard as it's going to be, I don't know. But then it's like, 
a loss might also help them fire Hackett if they look horrible and get blown out. So I don't know. What are you cheering for? I know your answer, but maybe maybe walk me through your rationale. Yeah, for me, it, it's a no-brainer. They need to lose this game. Uh, th- what? It's 15 losses in a row at this point against the Patriots. I could stomach another one. If I could stomach all the losses that actually mattered, I could stomach a loss that improves the draft position, worsens the draft position for New England, and increases the likelihood of Hackett getting fired. The goal is to win a Super Bowl. Like who? No one is going to remember what Belichick's last game was. And mm, they, no they might remember that he had this. 16 straight wins against the Jets. But yeah, yeah, but it doesn't. It's still a 15 game winning streak, right, regardless of whether down. it ends here or not. It happened already. So I, I would like to see a loss. I the last the, this this last game against Cleveland, I wasn't really on either side after having already. Um, beat Washington, which I was rooting for a loss in that game, <laughs> uh, which it seemed like they almost were going to pull it off. I was very distraught at the end. Some <laughs> people didn't agree with that, but that was my opinion on it. Everyone's allowed you've to quite, root You've had how quite they the season. To. You've had quite the season on Twitter. You're in a tough spot. It's not this team sucks, but, uh, and then it's your job to to talk about it. But uh, so yeah, I'm I'm pro tank heavily in this game. Like, do you, do you want to see more terrible offensive line play next year? Like, do we want one of these elite tackles and go lose this game and get into a position to get one of them? Do you want to see a franchise quarterback in New England? I don't. So go ahead and let them get this win and fall down the draft board a little bit. Yeah, I guess you're right. Because even if the Jets win, then it'll be like, Belichick is a genius. And then, of course, the, the QB, the, the Patriots draft, he'll go on to be good and it'll all come I th- down I to I think people will make game. a lot more fun of the Jets if they win than if they lose. I think people around the league understand the situation. What's the highest they can get to with a loss? I mean, I know it depends on today's games, but. Five. Five? So they get to the top yeah. five pick? That'd be pretty nice. But realistically, what do you think they'll end up at if they lose? Because is, is that five given like we need, you know, some well, terrible yeah, Giants, team to beat? Chargers, Tennessee, Chicago. It just has to be one win each over these last two weeks. So it's not totally unrealistic, but they'll probably be like six or seven if they lose. Man, how far this season hey, If they going? win, you're talking about, you know, maybe 12, 11, 13. Oh, sorry. Last topic. I wrote it down, but we didn't talk about it. The uh, the guy over my shoulder here, big bust, Becton. What what are we doing with Becton? He's out of here. I mean, he's statistically one of the worst offensive linemen in the league. I I don't know if I'd want him back if having him on the roster gave you cap space. Like if you got <laughs> plus two million in cap right. for having him on your roster. Well, my argument know. before Thursday night was that he's going to be cheap. And that you can bring him back to compete, not to just give him a starting job, but you can bring him back to compete at right tackle because he'll have had it. Now he's had a full season where he's been healthy. He, he was coming off of two years away from the game, two years off major reconstructive surgery. It's like, all right, you give him the off season, build up more strength in the knee. Maybe you can get him back to, and it'll be cheap. And it's like, you know, there's only so much money to go around. And also if we've learned anything about offensive line, it's like, you just need bodies. You need as many, you need to be deep at offensive line. Cause they're going to drop like flies, especially if you, if you play in New York. And it's like, you know, you sent it to a cheap one-year deal. He's a Rogers buddy. Let him compete at right tackle. Was, was some, I don't know. But Thursday was pretty rough. And the 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 false starts and the the penalties. And, I mean, he looks like he's lost his lateral quickness, which is probably because of the knee injury. But, man, be nice to have Tristan Wurfs right now. 
sure would. I, I remember in that – I mean, I was okay with all those top four tackles, Thomas, Wills, Becton, and worse. Obviously, Thomas and Wills were gone. Uh, so I, I was okay with either of them. I was definitely pro-offensive line over receiver, which I think Lamb was still available at that point. Uh, so I just wanted yeah. one of those two tackles. I like Becton, but I did – have worse over that. That's who I thought they were going to take. Both that's did. What I kind of preferred, and you know, but I, I still was very much okay with the pick. Yeah. It was just you know the the bigger swing, which obviously they swung and missed, as we can tell. All right, but that's I it mean, for like, the thing about it though, like I mean, quickly just to revisit that is like Worfs wasn't. It's not like he was a boring pick. Like he had really a really high ceiling too. He was yeah, he was an offensive lineman from Iowa, like six seven three seven. <laughs> but like he was, he had sick athleticism numbers and on draft day they're showing him like jumping out, out of the pool, pool. yeah so, i mean he he had crazy well, the, and he the, was he had all that, that he, he didn't right have tackle. like the questions that yeah there, there's that but he he still had like great athleticism but not like the questions that came with a guy who has the unique frame of a becton so like that that is, that is something i think you could look back on and say like all right in the moment i think most people agreed probably worse was the play and that is how it turned out in the long run yeah yeah i mean that's the uh, we weren't critical enough of like because you look at you look at douglas's draft classes like all right 2022 is good or amazing 2020 bad 2021 uh, i mean we'll give it 20 what would you give 2021 obviously zach wilson but like you have to look at it in the context C- of like minus. i mean he did get carter it, that's what i was gonna sec- say carter the second i'm talking about you got um, Carter the second, maybe he, is, like he he t- took a swing trading up for AD and he's lived up to it when healthy. Just he was able to flip more and get Tipman, turn more into Tipman with a third. Sherwood's a special teams kind of guy. So what, like a C minus? Maybe they kept Pinnock. Maybe he could have been because he's been a solid starter. It seems like yeah, like a C minus, I guess. And then you look at this year, and I don't even say anything. It looks looks kind of rough, but we'll see. But this would be like, okay, this is a lost year where they're playing in a lot of meaningless games. It's like, play the young guys. It's like, what, they give Will McDonald two snaps, three snaps on Thursday? Yeah, I mean, that, that's played. another crazy thing. Like, I don't get what they're doing. Like, Will McDonald has barely played all season. But at least the past few weeks since you've been eliminated, you had this chance to say, like, okay, let's get him some reps. Because he's very important in this offseason. Because as you make your Bryce Huff decision, decide what you want to do with him. Will McDonald's the guy who would be filling in for Huff, hopefully, hopefully replicating what he does. But you barely got to watch him play this year. I think he's had like 80 pass rush snaps all season, so like five a game. He does not play. So you how, how are you supposed to know like if you can trust him? You know, I I think it's very puzzling. Well, it's like Abanacanda had a rough game. Carter Warren had a rough game. I, like like Coons didn't play. I think Sierra good, Barnes. But I think Tippmann's going to be good. Yeah, probably another twenty twenty one class. Thing. Not sure thing, but like only thing that you could really feel good about right now. I think I think Zaire Barnes might be good, or at the very least, a good special team. Like I think it'll be like another twenty twenty one class. I also do think here's the thing though: is I do think McDonald's going to be good. That the problem with the class, which is like, and I defended the picks, so I'll stand by it. I still think McDonald's going to be good. But they looked at it and said, "Hey, we're in a win now year." Super Bowl year. We have Aaron Rodgers. Also, at the time, they had Corey Davis, so they felt like the only thing that's going to sink this defense is if there's a run of injuries on the defensive line and we can't win with four. We need pass rushers. They liked McDonald. He was clearly highly ranked on their board, probably the best player on their board available. 
They have the impending Bryce Huff free agency. And so they take him, but it's like in 2023, just this year, it would be nice to have Zay Flowers or in Jake yeah. Barr or Jordan Addison. And, or one and, of and I guys. will say though, like, like I agree with you. I, I like McDonald. Like after they made the pick, I researched him more. The, I think the thought process is good, but like, let, let, let's try and fast forward to, you know, the discussion we just had about Becton and worse. Like let's, go to 2026 and try to look back on this. Like McDonald was not really even considered a, for, and I know it's different like consensus on the internet versus the NFL, but he wasn't even really in the conversation as a first round pick, at least not at that part of the first round. So when they made that pick, it was very surprising, kind of considered a reach. So if it doesn't turn out in the long run, it, you can look back on that and say like, you know, was he really the best talent? Because I think, in terms of like BPA versus need, like that's always a discussion in the draft every year. I lean towards best player available, but you always want to consider both, you know, depending on the circumstances. But I think generally, if you're going to take a BPA at a position that's already a big time strength, maybe the best position on your team, it should be like a, a can't miss type of player. Like say a guy had a video come out of him you know, with a bong during the draft and he slips like something crazy like that. It's never and happened before. Never has happened before. But like that type of situation where it's like, wow, how is this guy here? Like, I don't care what position he plays. Let's take him. Then I can understand that for like an edge, you know, for the Jets in this situation or whatever position you're talking about. If it's a strength on your team, but like McDonald and yeah, on their board, maybe they did see him as that type of right. player, regardless of what the consensus was, which I'm sure they did. but. You know, from an outside perspective, it's easier to feel comfortable with that type of pick when it is, you know, like Laramie Tunzel, who, if you didn't know, that's who I'm talking about. Like when you have that type of, of slip where it's like a guy shockingly falls, who's right. clearly like a really special pick here. So we'll, we'll see how it turns out. I think I like him. And and he has been very efficient when he's played this year. Yeah. His win rate, pressure rate and that stuff. He, he showed the potential. It's just such a small sample to where it's like, can he maintain it if he plays more snaps? Is it a fluke? Can he play the run? Like, these are all still questions. So we'll see what happens. And you also want to keep Bryce Huff because he's, you know, a known commodity and you'd love to keep him around. So you hope they don't. It's been a little quiet the last couple weeks. Yeah. I mean, Huff has, it has been a quieter second half for him, but, you know, still his overall numbers are still really good. So hopefully hopefully they can find a way to keep him around, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Here's the, here's the way I look at it. Like in the immediate 2023, especially after Corey Davis's retirement, which I couldn't have predicted. Uh, it would have been really nice to have one of those receivers and you would definitely take a receiver. Like Jets fans right now are mad about the Will McDonald pick. And heading into the offseason, it'd be a lot nicer if you were just like, hey, this offense sucks. All we need to do is the offensive line. But it's like, all right, they have to rehaul, overhaul the entire offensive line and go get another receiver to pair with Garrett Wilson. So it sucks right now. But two, three years from now, if Will McDonald develops into a blue chip edge rusher, which is like really what you're banking on. When you make a pick like that, a, a, a reach at a position that wasn't a need. In fact, it's probably the deepest part of your entire roster. That player better go on to be TJ Watt <laughs> or miles. Like he better go on to yeah. be a blue chip edge rusher. Cause if he's not, then it's a bad, it's a bad pick. But if Will McDonald develops into a top flight edge rusher and you're pairing him with Jermaine Johnson and, and Quinn and Williams on this defensive line. And who else, you know, who knows what this defensive line will look, we'll, we'll talk about what they might do if they bring Huff back or if they make some trades or whatever. Um, then you feel good about it. And then you look back and say, Hey, I'd rather have a top flight pass rusher than a, a receiver because those are easier to find. But in the immediate right now, it'd be nicer to have a receiver, but I still believe in Will McDonald. And you look at the leap that Jermaine Johnson's made under this coaching staff, you know, I think, and, 
look at Bryce Huff and John Franklin Myers, these guys that have developed in this system, I think you're optimistic about what Will McDonald could go on to become. Um, all right. I know, I know we were like wrapping up and we were done, but just last thing, just cause we were kind of talking about who deserves more. One of the other horrible moves that we just haven't really talked about because he's kind of flown into the Raiders been inactive, but not cutting Carl Lawson and freeing up that, yeah. that money. Yeah. That's awful move. And that also falls on Joe Douglas and that you can't even blame on who's trying to appease Aaron Rodgers. Again, it goes back to the philosophy of like, we need to make sure that this defensive line is healthy so we could win with four. And it's a, it's a, a potential Super Bowl year for us, but they knew the guy was cooked. Then he got hurt in training camp. He looked like he could barely walk. We saw that video of him. And then he still made the final 53. I don't know. They restructured him over the summer. I just, that that's another terrible move. So I was like, Douglas had a really bad off season and Saul has had a bad season and the, the offensive coaching staff has been bad. And there's a lot of in-game stuff that you can criticize Saul for, but it's like, again, you look at, you look at who are the Jets starting receivers right now? Who are the Jets starting offensive linemen right now? Is that more coaching or is that off or is that GM? It's both, but I don't know. It's, it's hard when you're Trevor Simeon's throwing fade routes to Xavier Gibson on second and goal in the red zone. We I mean, so I, I agree with you, we but so like, close. I still think like you look at the Browns and like they're they're just teams in the league where I think they show you that it's it doesn't always have to be the end of the world when these guys go out, but for the Jets, it is. So it, it's both like that. That's what you always have to come back to. Like the point fingers say, is it this guy? Is it him? Like it's everybody when you're as bad as the Jets are right now. So uh, that's. Why I would like to see some accountability and not act like Aaron Rodgers is going to fix everything, but hopefully he does because that's what we're counting on. All right, let's get out of here. Um, oh, I'm sorry. There is one more thing, Michael. There's been a lot of discourse this week about about Joe Flacco, about how the the Jets could have saved their season if they had signed Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco wanted to come play for the Jets after Aaron Rodgers' injury. We all rolled our eyes. He was one and eight here. It was pretty bad the last time he was on the field for the Jets. Actually, I guess he was he was fine in that, that last game against the Dolphins. But, you know, he looked pretty old behind a bad offensive line the last time he was here. And then here he is leading leading the Browns to the playoffs. There's been a lot of discourse about that. It's the same discourse that we saw with Josh Dobbs a few weeks ago before he got benched. We've seen it all season long. If Jacoby Brissett we had been playing longer for the Commanders, we would have seen it with him too. Um, we've been pretty consistent that – on this podcast the entire season that like QB is not the biggest issue on this team and Flacco or Dobbs or any of those guys wouldn't have saved the season. But I think it's worth mentioning just because it's been a topic of discussion. Uh, did the Jets, did the Jets blow their season by not, by not bringing back Joe Flacco? No, I, I think that's a extremely hindsighted thing. I think every single person that you see making that claim, you can go back and, and see whether or not they were, um, pushing the Jets to bring back Joe Flacco earlier this year, and you'll see that they weren't, and they probably called him trash last year because he was. Only difference is that the Cleveland Browns have competent coaching and a competent offensive line, and that's not to take away from what he's doing because I don't think he's ever played this good in his career. So it's just like a a random thing that no one could have expected. But I mean, no one was talking about it. He was bad last year, and he would still be bad behind this offensive line. But um, you know, he is a veteran quarterback, and so if you give him a competent offensive line, you know, he's showing you what he can do with some time to scan the field. But, uh, you know, at this age, if he has to play behind a bad off- offensive line like the Jets have, I don't think he would have done anything different than what Tim Boyle and Trevor Simeon have done. I think Zach Wilson would have been better. And his numbers this year are 
you know, similar, if not slightly better than last year. So I, I think the whole thing is ridiculous, but good for him. I think it's a cool story. And uh, I'll, I'll be rooting yeah, for the Browns in the playoffs. Another, another example. Another example. It's seemingly good process. Like, we don't need Joe Flacco. And then the results are, oh, Joe Flacco is an MVP candidate now. Just right. is, is we cursed or incompetent. What's what's going on here? But uh, all right. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we will be back in 2024 with hopefully a lot more uh, optimistic podcasts and so, some more segmented podcasts. We'll do the mailbag to a few interviews lined up. One we're pretty excited about. So we're excited for 2024, Michael. We are turning the page from this awful, dreadful season that the Jets have had and looking ahead to a make or break season for this era of Jets football. I mean, our first episode, Michael, I think was like the week after Joe Douglas was hired or something like that, two weeks after he was hired, some, you know, 2019 summer. So our entire podcast has been this kind of era of Jets football. And so this is it, make or break. Excited for this offseason, excited to see what, what changes they'll make in January and then gearing up for, for free agency and, and the draft. So we'll have a lot of pods in the spring. Um, try to be more consistent, but um, just trying to regain interest in football. You know, the thing is, like, I have no interest in watching any games today. Usually, even when the Jets aren't playing, I'll watch other NFL. I, I mean, have no I've, interest I've in football. I've stayed interested right in other games around the league. I've actually enjoyed it because I feel like it's good to see real football when most the, Jets the, games are so low the, quality. Yeah, the product has not been that good. And then there's all, you know, it's like every five seconds I see a gambling ad and then so there's a horrible you know, uh, you, call. You shouldn't game be saying you're anything. Like, you're the, you, been doing yeah. putting a lot of money down recently i put five dollar bets down relax i'm not mortgaging a house but like you know i, I like well, my little five dollar parlays. i like my five dollar well, hey, but i'm as, just as saying we're recording this, the integrity of the game is coming into question yeah as we're recording this the detroit pistons just won a basketball game so anything is possible in the world of sports we're gonna do this the jets are gonna turn this thing around all right Let's get out of here. Thank you for listening. Have a have a great uh, week. We'll be back in 2024. Hopefully, talking about the, the Jets firing Nathaniel Hackett. But we'll do one after the uh, Jets Patriots game, and that'll kind of set the stage for for the offseason. You can follow us at CWJ Pod on Twitter. Michael Michael underscore Nanny and myself Ben W Blessington. Go to JetsXFactor.com. Best place to go for Jets content. Uh, check out the other JetX pods. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Um, I think that's it, Michael. Any last thoughts? Um, fire hack it, fire hack it. All right. Uh, happy new year. Go jets.